1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show, where we are focusing on the relationship between nutrition and mental health, the crucial connection between your brain and your gut. My first guest is Dr. Jill Hart, and this conversation was originally recorded in June of 2018. Dr. Jill Heart is an expert covering a wide range of topics, including food intolerance, homocysteine as a risk factor for Alzheimer's, dementia, heart disease, and infertility, biochemistry of satiety, appetite, and weight loss, liver biochemistry, and blood alcohol markers. Hormone analysis. She also is involved with endocrine testing and pituitary function, nutrition and mental health, gut functioning, bone markers, and diabetes testing. And it goes on and on and on. I want to get Dr. Hart with us so she can better explain what she's been up to. Welcome, Dr. Jill Hart.
2: Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for the welcome and the introduction.
1: Oh, well, thank you for the work that you're doing because you are exploring a sphere of the relationship between diet and mental health.
2: Absolutely, and I think it's been really important for everyone to look at the evidence now that's behind the reactions that people have, maybe as food intolerance reactions and the impact that that can actually have on their mental health and, and the feelings of happiness.
1: When you talk about food intolerance, you don't mean just a, a typical allergic response of sneezing or hives. You're talking about the body responding in a much more complex way to what we're ingesting.
2: Yeah, very much so. I think, I think there is a, a lot of confusion between food intolerance and food allergy, for example. They get, often get confused. And food allergy is the immediate, sometimes dangerous or even life-threatening reaction to foods such as peanuts and uh, shellfish milk and eggs. And this is often present from a a young age and and involves an antibody type, which is called an IgE antibody. And once you have an allergy into adulthood, you you usually have it for life, but it's relatively rare. Only about 2% of adults have have allergies. Food intolerances are very different. Um, It's estimated that About 45% of the population suffers from some type of food intolerance. These often develop later in life and can take longer, up to three days, for symptoms to present themselves. And actually this makes it really difficult to pinpoint the culprit food or foods if you've eaten something a few days before. And uh, those coming to us at at York Test um, who have food intolerance reactions on average react to about four or five different food ingredients and it's virtually impossible to determine which specific foods you're reacting to without taking a test. So um, the good news is, and there is some good news in all this, that um, food intolerance is not necessarily lifelong and foods can sometimes be reintroduced back into the diet without effect after a period of elimination and gut healing.
1: mm. This is fascinating. Give some symptoms of food intolerance.
2: Well, the symptoms are really many and varied, and uh, people don't always associate the symptoms they have with with a food. They can range from the more obvious, such as digestive symptoms like irritable bowel, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, um, to things like skin conditions, eczema, acne, itchy skin, psoriasis and and migraines and headaches. But also um, people report weight gain, low energy, chronic fatigue and, of course, you know, as we're talking about today, particularly low mood and depression. Um, So there's a really wide range of symptoms um, involved. And I think overall, though, uh, when it comes to your health, your gut health is absolutely paramount, Um, optimal gut health enhances the way that we absorb nutrients and vitamins into the body. It ensures we are converting the food we eat into valuable byproducts to maximize energy levels. And and if you're compromising this with a food intolerance, this puts strain on your gut. And the level of stress on the gut can cause the lining to be impacted, which could allow larger food particles through into the bloodstream. And these larger food particles can trigger an immune response which isn't an allergy, it's a food intolerance and the immune response is measured using um, a food-specific IgG immune blood test to determine exactly which particular food you're reacting to and and also how severely you might be affected.
1: So the the way to find out about these food intolerances is Mm. through a blood test? It's a simple blood test?
2: That's right. It it is a very simple blood test um, that can be... um, carried out by measuring the food-specific IgG antibodies that have been shown to be triggering the immune system and, and irritating um, the, the gut. And as we've said, you know, by identifying the antibodies in the blood, we can actually specifically link those to the foods you eat. And, and the great news is that York Test offers a complete home-to-laboratory service, and um, there's no need to visit a doctor or clinic. Everything needed to take the test is included in a, in a blood collection kit. So the testing process is really simple. You use a simple finger brick blood collection kit that you use at home. You take a small blood sample, post it back to York Test's accredited scientific laboratory. Our quality uh, qualified scientists analyze reactions to up to 158 Common food drink ingredients, and you receive a, a, a full color coded report which lists um, all the reactions, the food specific IgG reactions, and categorizes them as uh, either reaction, uh, pos- positive reaction, or no reaction, or borderline reaction. So you know exactly which foods in your diet you are actually reacting to. So, uh, yeah. You know,
1: I just wanted to add something. This is this is mm. fascinating because it, it used to be that when you went for this kind of testing, you had to go to the doctor's office. Mm. Um, the testing wasn't always comfortable. That you would be there for uh, a, a long time while the tests, I guess, what incubated <laughs> would be the right mm. word. I don't know. Yes.
2: Yeah. This yes, is something that's yes, done at it's home. It's, yes, absolutely. And this this means that. You've got the advantage of the simple blood collection that you can carry out at home with a simple finger prick, but you've also got the fully accredited laboratory uh, accredited laboratory service that you know is used to analyse the actual blood once you've actually collected it. So you've got the best of both worlds, really. We know that everybody's food fingerprint, if you like, is is different, which means that people have their own unique lists of reactive foods if they're reactive, and some people obviously don't have any at all. Um, These reactions are much more common than you may think, and it's important to remember that food intolerances can occur to the proteins in foods that we traditionally think as being healthy as well, things like fruits and vegetables and pulses. And a food which negatively affects one person will be completely fine for another, Um, and that's why it's important to to take a test. If you you look at the reactions that I have, I always react to, to cow's milk, for example, I mean, I eat a lot of other foods, clearly, wheat and uh, eggs and and, uh, vegetables and fruits, et cetera. But my my reactions are to cow's milk, sheep's milk, goat's milk, and also to almonds as well. Um, And that's my unique pattern, my unique food fingerprint, if you like
1: fascinating. We're going to go to a break in a minute, but before we go I also just want to do one more quick check about how one obtains the test. Do you need a doctor's prescription or is this somebody who might be curious can contact you and order one?
2: Absolutely. If you'd like to know more about York tests and how York tests can help you, our contact details can be found on our website, which is www.yorktest.yorktest. Dot com, and you can find out much more about uh, the services that we offer there. Um, you, you don't need a doctor or, or a prescription to do the test and uh, it's a very straightforward ordering process.
1: Um, and I want to ask you one more thing, which will take us mm. to the break, and then we'll come back mm. and speak mm. about it. And that would be the relationship of what we're eating to our mental health and an area of study that I've just become aware of in the last several months mm. because there's research being done at UCLA here in Southern California mm. on psychobiotics.
2: I mean, the, the gut and the brain, as I'm sure you and your listeners are aware, are very closely linked, and our gut is an amazing organ. And uh, interestingly, 90, 95% of the serotonin, that's our, that's our happy hormone in our bodies is held in our gut. Um, that, that hormone is linked to appetite, mood and sleep, factors that affect our gut health. And, um, and, and our serotonin will eventually affect the way we feel in our mood. So the communication between the gut and the brain involves the immune system, which is why the measurement of food specific IgG antibodies is so important. And it also involves the central nervous system and also the gut bacteria. And there's a lot in the news now about the impact gut uh, bacteria has on, on um, inflammation, and and also depression as well. Let's and, go uh,
1: let's hold let's hold that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Let's hold that for when we come back from the break cuz we need to take off for a minute. To learn more, please visit www.yorktest.com and on Twitter you can find Dr. Jill Hart at yorktest_uk and on Facebook the page is yorktest-usa. Here comes the break. We'll be right back and that is a promise.
0: To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services.
1: Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this episode. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, available 24-7. And we're talking about the relationship between nutrition and mental health, the crucial connection between your brain and your gut. Let's return to the conversation with Dr. Jill Hart that was originally recorded in June of 2018. And Dr. Hart, prior to the break, we began talking a little bit about what goes on in our bellies.
2: Absolutely, and and it's really, really key now to understand. People are starting to understand what microorganisms are present in the gut, and the different types of microorganisms that are there for the very first time. But what people don't yet understand is how specifically, you know, the, the communication, the exact mechanism of communication of those bacteria to actually what's going on with with things like mental health. But we do know that there are only certain factors that can affect the gut microbiology and those are things like diet uh, and, and gut healing and microbiot- um, um, probiotics, microbiotics, and these um, are really important. People have made more general dietary changes. Obviously, healthy eating is absolutely vital. But when you think about the fact that everybody's gut bacteria are individual to them, they have a, their own unique pattern, we know that it's really important to have specific personalised dietary changes that relate to the individual rather than a, a, you know, a one-size-fits-all pattern. Um, and that's why considering um, your own unique immunology by taking a, a, a food intolerance test can tell you a lot more um, about what's going on. And when we talk
1: about mental health, um, mm-hmm. talk a little bit about, I mean, we know that there's the gluten-free craze, for example, or mm-hmm. the dairy-free um, mm-hmm. craze, and people are quite passionate about it, at least on the Western states of, uh, of America. Yeah, um, yeah. Is this part of what you're talking about? I,
2: th- I think you know people do have choices, and people can choose to remove gluten or, or dairy or, uh, or wheat from their from their diet. Um, but I think um, unless there's a good evidence behind um, that the the need to to remove those foods, I think if you um, look at the the picture that I've talked about, with on average people reacting to four or five different foods taking one one or two foods out using guesswork is not necessarily going to give people the whole picture um, in terms of their own specific personalized reactions and i think it's also really vital that if you start to remove foods from your diet that you actually replace those foods with um, suitable alternatives for example, if someone discovers they're intolerant to cow's milk, then they should ensure they're still consuming the recommended daily amounts of calcium, you know they're getting enough protein, and, and, and ensure they shouldn't, you shouldn't be deficient. So taking foods out of the diet at a whim without considering what to put back in its place is also really important. And that's why we at York Test emphasize the importance of proper nutritional supervision, which is provided through the York Test service um, by our nutritional therapists.
1: Mm. Very, very interesting. Talk a little bit about inflammation because a lot of the research indicates that so many of our health problems are a result from inflammation in the body. Talk a little bit about that.
2: Absolutely. When you actually consider the, the importance of gut bacteria, um, again, in the, in the body, they are actually uh, you re- helping to regulate the immune system Um, The immune system, once triggered, um, is going to actually go on and and, um, stimulate inflammation. There are very uh, good studies which show a direct relationship with the levels of food-specific IgG antibodies in in the blood and actually markers of inflammation, such as um, C-reactive protein. And um, people are beginning to, to much better understand that relationship now we know that inflammation is involved with a lot of chronic conditions, everything from, um, you know, IBS um, through to uh, things like depression, but also um, being overweight and o- obese is also linked to inflammation. So when you're trying to lo- <coughs> lose weight, for example, it's important um, not just to, you know, cut down on calories and do more exercise. You have to get over the fact that you've got an inflamed body and actually remove some of those immune triggers to, to help you reach your, your ideal weight and um, that's, that's again part of the, the big picture that's involved with inflammation that we know is uh, affecting us through lots of different conditions and diseases
1: and other uh, health conditions uh, attributed Mm. to uh, inflammation it's my understanding that they include but aren't limited to like fibromyalgia Mm. uh, some of the the other autoimmune disorders the the depression Alzheimer's um, schizophrenia is another one
2: area yeah I mean absolutely certainly um, if we we go back to the autoimmune picture um, uh, many, um, people that, um, you know, w- remove, um, food specific IgG, um, related foods, um, from their, from their body, uh, feedback to us that, um, they've been helped with things like fibromyalgia, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, um, and other autoimmune diseases. Um, and, and, moving on, you know, to talk about schizophrenia, certainly, um, the evidence that I've, presented in my most recent paper uh, that's been published is that, um, you know, people with schizophrenia have raised anti in IgG antibodies, for example, compared with normal controls, um, anti-milk and, and, and potentially other food-specific IgG antibodies. And the studies there have shown that, you know, it's not necessarily just gut permeability um, and leaky gut, as we call it, that's involved, that's letting... Larger food particles through. there could be also um, links with um blood brain barrier permeability as well. So mm-hmm. uh, again, these are all areas that are really impactful, and um, you know there's more to find out, um particularly in schizophrenia, but the evidence there is 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 pointing us in this direction.
1: And in addition to um, depression and schizophrenia, um, the research is also, uh, pointing towards autism and ADhD as well,
2: yeah, absolutely, and again, many children with um, autism and ADHD present with gut symptoms, they also present with um, altered gut microbiology, intestinal per- permeability, which are all linked to inflammation and um, and and you know again linked back to you know uh, the probability of an increased gut permeability, but also an increased blood-brain barrier permeability. So again, the same the same type of picture. Um, there, is, there is building evidence that um, uh, children with autism and ADHD have um, higher levels of food-specific IgG antibodies, and um, and that by changing the diet according to the actual results of those antibodies um, can can be beneficial. And that's certainly something that we've seen with the feedback that we we get from people that have used the test. And we've been offering this test um, in the UK and Europe since 1998. So uh, we've got a lot of information about it. Yes,
1: yes. And this is, is this is in the emperor's new clothes. This is uh, yes. technology that has been around for a while and has absolutely. been proven. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Can, can you talk a little
2: bit uh, uh, about a case study, uh, perhaps? Um, yes, yeah. I've, I've got I've got some information about um, somebody who used our service. And, and in this case, it, it wasn't a child in this case, but a gentleman called uh, uh, David Brown who struggled with lethargy, forgetfulness, anxiety and depression. And um, knowing him now, happy, energized and full of enthusiasm for the future, it's hard to believe that things were very different for David a few months ago. And um, he only described as he felt constantly tired and lethargic and complained of what he called the brain fog, really. Um, he, he tried to get over this and um, levels of lethargy and tiredness, um, anxiety and depression. He'd visited his doctor. He'd had his blood tested and he had his eyes tested as well. And um, although he, he recounts suffering from um, periods of mild depression since uh, since his teens, really... He kept ignoring it and uh, told himself that he really should get over this. Um, He he didn't really link his anxiety and depression with his fatigue and brain fog, but uh, he was sort of at the end of his tether, really, uh, when when he came to us. He tried everything he could think of, uh, including hypnotherapy, cognitive behaviour therapy, and... In the end, he heard about York test from his mother who'd had a very positive experience with us and he sent off his fingerprint blood sample to our laboratory and we tested his sample for hundred and fifty eight foods and his results revealed he was intolerant to egg whites egg yolks and millets now millet's a cereal which is used a lot in nowadays in uh, you know in cereals and and bars and um, grain bars and things um after he Received his results, he he talked to our nutritional therapist, and you know he was a bit daunted by the thought of removing eggs because he he'd been eating a lot of eggs, thinking that they were really healthy. <laughs> and you know this is quite often what we hear. You know people people also often crave things that they're food intolerant to. And um, when he started to explain his symptoms to our nutritionist, she used the the word brain fog, which immediately resonated with him, and he looked it up later, and you know it, it was as if. Uh, the symptoms were, were written for him. Um, he said it was a huge relief to, to have an explanation behind uh, what was going on and it didn't take him long before he noticed a difference in his symptoms. After about 10 days, um, taking eggs and millet out of his diet, not only was his brain fog lifting but his anxiety and depression also seemed to fade and he, he felt it was an absolute revelation and, and fed back to us and uh, phoned us up uh, you know obviously over the moon about he said he'd never in a million years expected to to have such a complete and total change in his health and you know wow. he used the words which i really liked he, he said he feels reborn and it was like his brain had been taken out thoroughly cleaned and serviced and then popped back in again <laughs> so it <his result> was <laughs> a lovely phrase and um you know he says that he's sharper more motivated and focused and uh, and can think more clearly and uh, and no longer gets flustered and confused uh, uh, and as stressed as he did before. Um, and, you know, this is a simple dietary change with guided elimination diet, with with good scientific information to back it up. And, um, you know, this is, this is one small example uh, or very big, you know, a very big thing for David, but one example... Of the you know the feedback we get on a daily basis mm. from people, whether it's about um, you know David's types of symptoms or all through to things like um, you know digestive problems, skin and, and the other symptoms that I've been talking about. Doctor Jill really, Hart, really inspiring, yeah.
1: Dr. Jill Hart, I'm, yes, going to have yes. to, I'm going to have to say goodbye oh. because we're out of time. We are oh, way, way, <laughs> way out of time. <laughs> so we'll have to carry on the conversation uh, uh, again at a later date. I'd love to do that. <laughs> but I, I want to um, just... Um, really share that, that, that we need not suffer with some of the symptoms that many of us experience in daily life. And to okay. learn more, you can visit York Test Laboratories at www.yorktest.com. And on Twitter, you can connect with Dr. Jill Hart, biochemist at YorkTest underscore UK. And on Facebook, you can find York Test USA there as well. Thank you, Dr. Jill Hart, for your work, your heartfelt research that's making a difference for so many. Thank you. Let's hit that break. We'll be right back.
0: Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness. And follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration.
1: Welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us now, we're talking about the relationship between nutrition and mental health, the crucial connection between your brain and your gut. My next guest is a friend of the show, Dr. Emron Mayer. He's been on several times over the years discussing the relationship between gut health and brain health, specifically with psychobiotics. This interview was recorded in March of 2018. My guest now is Dr. Emron Mayer. He is a professor in the Department of Medicine, Physiology and Psychiatry at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. He's also the Executive Director of the G. Oppenheimer Center for Neurobiology of Stress and Resilience and Co-Director of the CURE, Digestive Diseases Research Center at UCLA. Dr. Mayer is a world-renowned gastroenterologist and neuroscientist with 35 years of experience in the study of clinical and neurobiological aspects of how the digestive system and the nervous system interact in health and disease. And I want to give another interesting fact about Dr. Mayer that I absolutely love. Throughout his career, both in his research and clinical practice, Mayer has pursued a Buddhist philosophy of interconnectedness, balance, and compassion. Welcome back, Dr. Mayer. Thanks for joining us on the show.
3: Thanks, Lisa. Nice to be back.
1: Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Today, we're also talking about your book, The Mind-Gut Connection, How the Hidden Conversation Within Our Bodies Impacts Our Mood, Our Choices, and Our Overall Health. Let's talk a little bit about what interested you in this area of medicine.
3: It's a long story. i just give you the uh, short version. I've always been interested in that. Actually, the reason I went into medicine in how the body and the mind uh, interact and I have pursued this first in um, in uh, studying the, in the during my thesis studying the connection between the brain and the heart um, and later really shifted the focus on the digestive system on the gastrointestinal tract and the mind-gut connection and I know it was the right uh, choice to go that direction because when the microbiome came on the scene that um, the brain gut microbiome connection or interactions became a very hot topic um, and um, I'm glad I'm at the forefront of this
1: I am too and talk a little bit about when that happened because it actually was not that long ago it was not very long ago it was
3: uh, the microbiome um, revolution I would say really was driven by technology the uh, computing power and the affordability of doing what's called sequencing or identifying um, hundreds of thousands of, um, of of genes and gene expression profiles, uh, which allowed us basically to for the first time to identify, characterize the uh, 100 trillion microbes, invisible microbes that live in our gut that were not before seen under the microscope or uh, we're not, um, wasn't able to culture them. Uh, but now with these techniques, uh, we're able to do it. And it's getting cheaper by the year. That means that these analysis techniques can be applied even in the clinic. Um, and uh, this will continue to, to, to drive the interest and the science uh, that l- looks into this up to now hidden universe inside of us.
1: And just to give some perspective, was this in the late eighties roughly
3: um it really became a hot topic, I would say in the last ten years or so. um I can still really well remember um Jeff Gordon, who is one of the pioneers I could almost say the, the father of this of this science um when he first published the study um, it was related to obesity um and My only area of interest, so the connections between the brain, the the central nervous system and the gut, that really um, took off even less, you know, a few years back, Um, I would say probably, you know, between 10 and between seven and 10 years ago, uh, people started to study this uh, in mice uh, originally, um, and then... um, you know, this has progressed into studies in in humans, and some very exciting things going on today.
1: Well, the reason I asked back in the eighties is I, uh, in the I think it was mid to late eighties, I had a bout of chronic fatigue, and I went to my conventional internist, who was telling me about helicobacter pylori and he says there's this all this new research that's being done with this connection of what's going on in the gut and oh you're going to see this is going to be responsible for so much of our health and i thought i didn't think he was crazy i thought he was out there and he and he was on to something and i that's when i became aware of how important it is for this internal fitness aspect of ourselves
3: yeah and um that is so the H pylori story is 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 quite interesting because um so I was <coughs> I was a junior faculty member at the time and was working at the um at the cure um, institute here at UCLA um, which was all focused on uh, identifying the causes and developing better treatment for peptic ulcer disease and for a long time um, the investigators, premier investigators at that center, um, ignored the uh, emerging science about H. pylori um, that uh, you know started to happen at at the time. It, it wasn't really viewed as sort of the microbiome science. I mean, H. pylori was something that, in some ways, came came out of the blue. You know that uh, nobody suspected that a disease that many of us had thought and had st- pursued in Research was a, um, either some chemical or food-related or, uh, a, speaking for myself, a, a brain-stomach uh, problem that under stress you would develop these ulcers. When Barry Marshall f- first published his self-experiments that he ingested, um, H. pylori-containing con- um, um you know, food and developed an ulcer, that, that was really revolutionary. But it was not – I wouldn't say this was officially recognized as the starting point because that was an organism that, um, that could be seen under the microscope, that, that could be cultured, um, that was much more visible than, you know, the hundred trillions of organisms and viruses and fungi that um, are now – at the center of the microbiome science. But you could say it was, probably the, you could call it the, 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 the first beginning of that.
1: I think uh, for me, it brought attention to an area of self-care that I never paid attention to prior. You know, that what I was eating, that lifestyle were indeed um, uh, very powerful tools to maintaining health or, or, or getting my health back. Let's talk a little bit about um, the optimal diet that's good for the gut and good for the brain. Well, um, let me start out with saying
3: that the, our, our digestive system is, is a, a universal, uh, highly adaptable, almost like a turbine. A turbine. You, can, you can put everything in it. The main goal is survival. For the species, so um, in the course of evolution of humans, you know, um, humans have ingested just about everything um, to to stay alive. So it's a highly adaptable system um, that um, you know can can burn both um, plant products, can um, uh, animal derived products, uh, or a combination of those. Um, if we think about Today, where the survival is no longer for a lot of people, I mean, unfortunately, still for some, and in different parts of the world, but for the majority of people, it is no longer the main um, challenge for for us humans. Um, we can sort of look at this: what is the optimal diet, and what if it's the optimal diet for our GI tract? Um, and for microbes living there, uh, then probably that is also optimal for the rest of the body, including the the, the brain. And um, there's there's no question in my mind if you there's um, so much converging um, epidemiological science and um, and, and uh, you know n- nutritional research that points towards a largely plant based diet. Um, as the the optimal diet for 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 humans, so I say largely plant based, not vegan, because um, a small amount of um, of fish and poultry is is clearly definitely the fish is is definitely beneficial for us, um, but the largely plant based as it is in the uh, traditional the original Mediterranean diet from that was characterized in the '60s in Greece, Italy, Spain. Um, Which is somewhat different from today's Mediterranean diet, which has been much more, um, you know, gone in the direction of the the Western, the the, in the North American diet. Um, But the 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 traditional Mediterranean diet is is clearly um, an example um, that um, provides health benefits. In, in children um, preventing the development of obesity in adults slowing the uh, pro- progress of cognitive decline um, in patients with a risk for cancer that um, uh, decreases the risk of, of, of developing cancer um, it's 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 a remarkable um Body of evidence that supports the health benefits of that diet, and what's unique about it, um, when we say largely plant-based, that means um, sufficient amounts of um, plant-based fiber, these undigestible components of the of, of plants. That is the ultimate food for um, for our microbes. It's the richness in healthy molecules. These um, Um, uh, polyphenols, for example, in olives and berries um, in red wine. And um, it's the absence of a high, large amount of animal-based fat. Um, So we have both the epidemiological data, but also the the biochemical um, reason, uh, or the scientific reason why that is beneficial for for our gut, its microbes, and um, and our brain.
1: We are going to need to take a break. And when we come back, we will continue the conversation with Dr. Emron Mayer about his new book, The Mind Gut Connection How the Hidden Conversation Within Our Bodies Impacts Our Mood, Our Choices, and Our Overall Health. To learn more, please visit emronmayer.com on Twitter at EmronMayer and on Facebook, Emron A. Mayor, and I believe the Twitter is also Emron A. Mayer. Yes, it is. Yes. yes. Here comes the break. We'll be right back.
0: Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb emotions are contagious and happiness is a universally desired state but we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day regardless of external circumstances explore the journey of human happiness how to find it and keep it with lisa's documentary film h-factor where is your heart visit harvestinghappiness.com to learn more
1: in us yeah We are back continuing the conversation with Dr. Emron Mayer about the relationship between your brain and your gut. This episode was originally broadcast in March of 2018. Let's rejoin that conversation. So, Dr. Mayer, prior to the break, you were highlighting the basic elements in the Mediterranean diet. I just want to recap that before we move on in the discussion.
3: Yeah, so when we say largely plant based, and I should say, you know, traditional Mediterranean diet, you could say the same thing about traditional Asian diets, like the Japanese, Okinawan, China. It's a very similar principle, which also I think points towards the fact that humans um, have maintained a, a sort of similar approach to um, if there's enough food available to select the the, the the food items that are best for them. Largely plant based important because. The Western diet has kind of almost eliminated fiber from our diet. So the recommended uh, amount per day is 20 grams. Our hunter-gatherer ancestors consumed up to it's estimated about 100 grams, um, and most people are consuming about 10 grams a day. So if you stick to the largely plant-based diet, you will ingest enough um, undigestible fibers, which is the ultimate food for. Our microbes fostering the diversity and abundance of the microorganism, and decreasing the likelihood of developing this low-grade inflammation, um, the leaky gut, and all the uh, sequelae that come from that. So, so the fiber, a very important component. A second one, probably equally component, uh, 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 equally important. Um, fruits particularly berries, um, olives, and red grapes, uh, red wine, containing these large molecules, um, which is so the, uh, the pharmacy of, of plants, these so-called polyphenols, a very interesting group of, um, of, of molecules that the, the plants use to their own defense and to the protection of their own health. But when we ingest them, And then they provide a major health benefit for us as well, protective against against cancer, against uh, degenerative brain diseases, a whole range of problems, health problems.
1: When we talk about your area of research and what you're focusing on now, you're really looking at the interaction of this gut microbiome with emotional regulation, chronic visceral pain, and also in obesity. Talk a little bit about that because that may surprise some of the listeners that how the gut health is impacting or can impact mental health.
3: Well, this starts really with the realization, as I point out in my book, that the, the gut is not just a digestive organ uh, that you know we don't really want to think about to associate it with. It's it's the organ you, you normally would not want to think about, and particularly not in terms of in the connection with positive emotions like happiness or well-being. But in reality, the gut is a major sensory organ that identifies um, molecules, signaling molecules. They come from from our diet, um, which then generate signals in terms of hormones that the gut releases, of immune signals, um, and of nerve signals, particularly through the vagus nerve, that all can reach the central nervous system, the the brain, particularly emotional emotional regulation areas, and um, influence the, the, the function of emotional circuits within our brain. This has been studied primarily in in studies in in, in laboratory studies in mice, uh, and the, the 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 results are quite intriguing. Um, but there's also data, partly from our own group, um, that the ingestion, for example, of probiotics um, have a significant effect on emotion regulation systems within the brain. I personally think the reason it 's not as easily demos- um, as as easy to demonstrate in humans I mean a human brain is a very complex organ um, that is obviously much more sophisticated than the mouse brain uh, so therefore there's more influences in addition to the gut signals that regulate our our emotions so it's, I always say comparing um, um, an h p calculator from twenty five years ago with uh, the, IBM Watson, the, the IBM Watson supercomputer, <laughs> uh, the latter being our human brain. So, um, But the gut and its microbes still play, we know that, um, a significant regulatory or modulatory influence on the brain and in our, in our background emotions.
1: And if you work the other way around, what I really hear you saying is that excessive stress and anxiety um, which are processed in the brain and felt in the body um, leads to sickness.
3: Very important concept, and you know, coming back to what we talked about the H. pylori in the past. So, if you if you take stress hormones like norepinephrine, and you have a culture dish with H. pylori organisms, if you add the stress hormone to that culture dish the organism will be more aggressive um, and will uh, express genes that have to do with what we call virulence or aggressiveness towards the host. So the connection between stress and ulcer disease that was well established um, has as an intermediate the role of stress on the H. pylori organism, which then attacks the stomach lining. And there's now a growing evidence of studies that have shown that norepinephrine modulates most microorganisms in, that live in the gut, uh, both the good ones, but also um, pathogens. You know, if you develop a making these organisms um, more aggressive towards us, t- towards the gut, and you know, t- towards the host. Um, so, if you if you're stressed, not only does the number uh, of certain species in your gut go down, um, but also it it. will change the behavior of of individual microbes. And what we know from other studies is it also increases the leakiness. So negative emotions, stress, have a multitude of of effects that um, make the interactions between the microbes inside of us and and our gut and our health um, um, much less favorable.
1: And what about the impact of lifestyle? You know, that it's, it, diet is just one part of the equation. Um, and in order to reduce stress and elevate emotion, we need to exercise, right? We need to engage in activities that uh, bring pleasure. We need to exercise empathy, compassion, kindness, you know, for ourselves and others. And this plays a very important role.
3: Um absolutely um, as you know in 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 medicine i mean the f- the funding for our research comes from the National Institute of Health, and they are really interested in disease so the the research into the positive emotions and the optimal health um, has has really happened to a very very small percentage of the overall research effort, so we know much less about it. There's a few exceptions to that um, but um we we can assume that you know because all the negative emotions have a a significant negative effect on on the microbes and all the consequences you know for our, for our body. Uh, so we can assume that um, positive mind states such as equanimity, calmness, compassion, Will have a, a a positive effect. So that's sort of my working hypothesis. We don't have the numbers, but I'm sure they will come out sooner or later. Um, that this uh, is is a beneficial effect and that it in- involves the microbes um, as, as a as a mediator.
1: Well, and and I just want to go back to stress for a minute because we're almost out of time, and that means you'll have to come back, which makes me very happy. But Robert Sapolsky's book uh, many years ago was, I think, it was uh, "Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers," and and I think it was it's a very funny title for a book. But there was something there. There are a lot of interesting things that he wrote in the book about sort of the zebra culture, right? That zebras can come under th- significant threat, but then they just sort of go back to their 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 pack, and there is no recall that it seems of the the threat that they just witnessed and I hope I'm describing that right maybe you can help me here yeah that's, no that's a good description yeah and, and uh, what is that about the about memory that's different in humans
3: yeah memory and particularly the the encoding of, of negative events and the, um, the 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 biasing of our Brain, which is really a, a prediction machine. I always like to say that, you know, just like a self-driving car, our brain predicts um, for the immediate future for the more distant future what the brain thinks um, is going to happen. So if you have the negative experiences, the trauma, the, the post-traumatic stress, then th- the, the system gets biased and it will always estimate that things are more likely to get bad um, and they get worse than somebody else would think. So this has been called catastrophizing or a <laughs> negative, a negative prediction bias. is, is a very. Um, I mean, obviously, at some point now, evolution it was a positive thing because it protected us from from future damage. But a lot of people have that as a chronic condition, and so the bad thing doesn't really have to happen to you. You're already worried. Many people, particularly with anxiety um, disorders or elevated anxiety, their brain always is concerned or worried what's going to happen in the future. It's not just the brain in isolation, but it will send these signals to the gut and does all these things we talked about before um, on the microbes and then what the microbes talk back to us. So, yeah, the memory, a great thing to have for us. We couldn't function without it. Um, But in terms of um, biased emotional memories um, can become a, a um, an unhealthy mechanism in our modern society.
1: We have to go. I want to just thank you again for being with me. The book, once again, by Dr. Emron Mayer is The Mind-Gut Connection. Uh, to learn more, please visit his website at emronmayer.com, on Twitter at Emron A. Mayer, and on Facebook, Emron A. Mayer. Thank you, Dr. Mayer, for sharing only a little bit of what's in this fantastic book about ways to harness the power of the mind-gut connection to take charge of our health and listen to the innate wisdom of our beautiful bodies. Thank you for being with me.
3: Thanks, Lisa. It was a pleasure talking to you.
1: Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Dr. Jill Hart and Dr. Emron Mayer, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your
0: inside job. Go out and rock your day. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU Radio Malibu.net and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.